0: All right. Today we've got Mario Bonacorso. Mario, thank you so much for joining. John, thanks uh, for inviting me. It's, it's a pleasure to talk to you today. Pleasure's all mine. Uh, first question, same as always. Refresh your memory. What did you do before you started in and what have you been doing for the last twenty years? So, i my background. I'm a telecom engineer. So I start,
1: uh, you know, working as an R&D engineer at Qualcomm in San Diego. And after two years, I got bored, you know, and I, I, I felt that, you know, all five years of engineering study or working had been in a certain way wasted because I didn't really like to stay in a room uh, crunching uh, uh, number. So I decided to join McKinsey, you know, business consulting, which will give me the opportunity to move from an engineering research job to a a more business-oriented job at the time. McKinsey also was sponsoring MBA. This allowed me to attend in Seatt. Let, let, uh, let me let me
0: stop you there for a question. That that's an interesting jump. I mean, I, I it's probably not that normal of a job. How difficult was it to go from you know hardcore engineering to management consulting? Did you have to really kind of uh, kind of fight for that uh, that interview and get that job?
1: It was it was very hard. It was very hard because. Uh, everyone wanted to move in business consulting plus i was living in san diego and as you know the us market is very competitive so i had to go back to italy taking also a meaningful pay cut you know but for me was a, a choice of life right i this was a choice that would have impacted my entire career so I felt it was the right decision, I mean, to give up a very healthy, you know, compensation, including, you know, stock option that today probably would have allowed me to retire, to transition into a, into a more business role, which is, was something I, I felt it was, uh, you know, something I, I wanted to do. So it was hard. It was hard. I had to change continent from the US to back to Europe. I had to, financially, I was worse off, but over the long term, I, I believe it was the right things to do. So I would not be here if I hadn't done that move initially. Then, you know, after INSEAD, uh, you know, I, I've been in McKinsey for four years. Then I was during INSAD. What was interesting in INSAD, uh, you talk to a lot of people with different interests. And also at the time, there were a lot of, you know, private equity venture capital coming to campus to present them some. So I became a, I developed an interest for the investment sector. And so, you know, after four years of McKinsey, I felt uh, I had a, a, I had to make a career choice. So either I will stay in McKinsey and, and be a partner and probably a consultant forever, or I will. it was the right time to move into the investment world because...
0: So, you so know, hold on, it, so, so you, 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 after INSEAD, you spent four more years at McKinsey, is what you said Okay, Correct. Okay. Correct. And
1: then uh, <clears throat> I received an offer from a startup. It was a distressed debt uh, hedge fund based in Italy. You know, it was uh, with a seeding shareholder, one of the largest Italian family. So I moved there. You know, so from a consultant to being a chief investment officer of oh, a distressed fund. It was a completely different job. And there, I have to say, you know, the inside experience. You know, being used to, you know, learning, being very curious, talking to a lot of people, asking probably. Asking questions is probably more important than assuming you know all the answers. This helped me a lot. So I was able to transition from consulting to investment world, which was another transition, which was not straightforward. Similarly from, you know, being an R&D engineer in the telecom sector to consulting, which was my prior career move. And there. So back in uh, in the investment sector, I stayed two years with the Distressed Debtage Fund. Things went very well, you know, in those two years. It was boomier. Joy. year, in, in yeah, your this career. It must have been, what, what 20, uh, 2007, 2008? You know, before Lehman, you know, lack uh-huh. plays a role. I, I believe lack plays a role in, in career. I don't believe that it's it's all based on, on on your uh, merit. I, I was lucky because 2006, 2007 were a good year. And then I received and, and, and an and What
0: were you, for, for, for the layman like me, what, what, is, what does that mean, distressed debt uh, investing? What kinds of things are you buying? How are you buying them? How are you getting out of them?
1: So basically, um, they, in Italy there have been a regulatory change where bank were allowed to dispose uh, the non-performing loan. And, uh, and there were uh, asset management companies that were authorized by the regulator to be able to manage those assets. You know, asset. And so uh, you were buying uh, like uh, a loan leasing, supporting airplane, and where basically effectively you could through a you know judicial process size the asset which was plane or real estate or really. A company, or sometimes it was really uh, a live operation that had, you know, simply financing issue or the wrong capital structure and needs to be better operated from totally unsecured loan, which you know you were buying at, you know, two three percent, and then uh, you know you were hoping that. You know, people didn't want to go through all the, you know, litigation expense and they could set up for 10 cents to a dollar. You were still making, you know, three, four times your capital. And that's something that uh, if you are part of a large bank that, uh, you know, manage hundreds of business line, you are not able to monetize correctly this distress uh, debt. If you are an, an hedge fund that, and you do this as a core business, you are certainly more efficient and it's a great business.
0: Yeah, that's some real cowboy yeah. stuff. That's that's, that's yes. cool. Yeah, and it, 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 it was
1: really... Um, the regulatory change allowed this business to develop uh, in uh, in Italy and, and, you know, so I exploited that window and then oh, this business is highly cyclical, right? If the economy goes well, people make money <laughs> either working or in the stock market, they are likely to pay. Bad loan is higher than if you... Go through a crisis, so these were, you know, boom years for stock market, for the economy, and uh, and then, of course, when Lehman occurred in two thousand eight, uh, you know, the industry went through, you know, challenging time. But at the time, I had already changed job. That's why I I mentioned to you, mm-hmm. you know, I was lucky because. Uh, you know, I had to receive an offer from Exor, which is the investment company of the Niallie family, is the owner of Ferrari, Juventus Football Club, and the Economist magazine. These are the most known assets, you know, a 30 billion euro company to report to the CEO and managing all their private equity portfolio. And I, I decided to join, you know, Exor, transitioning from hedge fund to private equity, and I've been there for, you know, we got listed in 2009, so one year after I joined, and again, it was the right part of the cycle because the market collapsed in 2008, yeah. but All the asset prices went
0: down and you're able to screw you know, up, yeah.
1: You know, back to the fact that, uh, you, know, uh, you know, you can be brave, you can be smart, but, you know, timing is an important component, particularly <laughs> in the investment sector. And so uh, I've been with XOR uh, uh, until 2016. Managing private equity, we have been very, very successful. You know, the, at the time, the share price when we listed was nine euro per share. And now it's 90. So we have done, you know, the company has done 10 times in um, in 15 years, in less than 15 years.
0: So did you start up their private equity practice or they already, it was already going and you, and you joined an existing team? So,
1: it was a startup because uh, before the fa- the company was only invested in uh, uh, the family business, which was uh, Fiat, the automotive company. Uh, uh, when I joined, uh, uh, the owner, which is my age, you know, uh, took over, became CEO, and he decided he wanted to transition from. A, Uh, business owning, uh, family owning effectively one business to a diversified private equity. So basically, I was hired to drive this transition, you know, and to diversify the portfolio from the car business to many other business, which we did, you know, so effectively. So you're responsible
0: for the the, the, like the Ferrari and the Economist and, and those things or they already had those? No, they had, they had already added those. They were part of the fiat group. I was responsible to, uh, you know, making
1: investment on the rest of the portfolio. You know, so and, that, and, this,
0: but... and this entity that went public, it was just the private equity piece that went public, not, 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 not the bigger group. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was it basically the family control
1: 53% of the private equity group. Exactly. And cool. the remaining 47% oh. is public and the family uh, is, is private. Yes, correct. Can
0: you talk about like what kinds of th- what kinds of transactions you did, what kinds of companies you bought? That's that sounds like yeah. a really a great journey. So,
1: you know, I, I will mention, you know, two of the largest one. One is very well known particularly in the US, is Cushman and Wayfield. You know, mm. is uh, for people who who don't know, uh, it's a global company, but it's one of the largest real estate brokerage in the United States. They allow company to lease office, to lease industrial plant, uh, to do capital market transactions, selling and buying building, and, um, you know, we both, you uh, know, Cushman and Wefit. you know, when I joined, it was 2008, and actually the first few months were challenging because there was Lehman. But then, uh, you know, brokerage is an interesting business because basically you have zero capital uh, deployed because it's you don't invest in real estate asset. You simply take a fee for making a transaction. And at the time, um, you know, with interest rates very low after Lehman, real estate has been an incredible asset class. So the, um, the value of Cushman and Wayfield has been uh, uh, increased meaningfully. So uh, we bought um, Cushman and Wayfield at around Six hundred million dollar in two thousand and eight, uh, and we sold in two thousand uh, uh, fifteen at more than two billion, just to give you an idea. And uh, I I sold to TPG, you know, the private equity group, which merged with another portfolio company. So I also helped, uh, you know, in the transition in the merger. I'm you know now a very good friend with the CEO of the merger. Now Pushman and is a listed company in the United States. So that was uh, uh, an interesting, uh, you know, a, l- a large transaction. And then the second one, which led to my next career move, was the acquisition of Pernary in 2016. So it was a $7 billion transaction. Um, Pernary is one of the largest reinsurance in the world. It's based in Bermuda. So the reinsurer basically provide capital to traditional insurance company, right? If you are a large U.S. carrier, you have a huge risk of a earthquake in California, right, or a hurricane five in Miami, you have to buy protection from ratio business. And the business basically, you diversify risk from Tokyo, from Miami, from Europe, from all over the world to build a diversified portfolio. And so your cost of capital is lower than the one of, the, of, of your clients. And so basically, we did this 7 billion transaction, which is the largest uh, done uh, in the 100 history of the Agnelli family back in 2016. And, and then John, you know, uh, Joe, uh, Joe at that point uh, for me was an important decision because I could have stayed at XOR managing our portfolio. We took also meaningful leverage to finance the transaction. So there was not additional capital to be deployed. And you know, that's different than any traditional private equity, because if you are a traditional private equity, you raise a new fund and you deploy a new fund. But if you are a family owned business and you are just managing your own money, when you finish to deploy your capital, you simply managing your portfolio and you wait, you know, either for a disposal or for capital to accrue through dividend. And so I didn't see me, you know, uh, staying in an office simply managing a portfolio of company. I wanted, uh, you know, new
0: channel. Oh, hold on, hold on. That, that, that actually sounds like a pretty good gig. I'm guessing you're not working forty hours a week if you're just uh, if if you're just sitting around waiting for these things to sell, right? You could have had a pretty nice uh, life, basically a retirement, right? Absolutely. You know, same
1: salary. You know, sitting on the board of company, managing, you know, company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, absolutely, it would have been a great, uh, great lifestyle <laughs> with, the, with the same amount of compensation, mm-hmm. but, you know, at the time in 2016, I was 40 years old and, you know, my career was consulting and then investment. And then I felt it was the right opportunity for me to add the managerial skill. Right? Because when you are a consultant, you know, you manage three people. When you are in a private equity house, you manage 10 people. But I felt that you know, if you really want to uh, l- run a business, you need to learn you know, a skill to manage 300, 1000 people. And these are things that you don't learn in SEAD. Ah, you, know, you, you simply learn doing that on the job. And so I felt it was the right opportunity for me to to do to do that, and I had acquired this company. So it was it was a large investment for the family. So it was, you know, the right move for me to go there, and I became um, chief financial officer and uh, you know executive vice president. So effectively, I was running responsible for running the entire company, excluding the underwriting, which was under the CEO responsibility. You know? Oh, oh this,
0: so this, this reinsurance company that you bought, you <clears throat> joined their team as a CFO? Correct, in 2016. Did you move to the Bahamas?
1: To Bermuda, yes.
0: Oh, yes. sorry. Bermuda. I moved with oh, Bermuda oh.
1: with my family. Oh, wow. You know, you know my son didn't speak one word of English. My wife had to quit her job you know to go to Bermuda and you know it's an interesting job because you go to Bermuda I, I I didn't force her I said you know let's go together you know then if you like we go if you don't like I will find something else So you go to Bermuda you spend two weeks you think it's great right you know for those of you who have been you know it's a Caribbean island very nice weather very friendly people. So the first two weeks were great, but then, you know, we moved there and, you know, life starts to be more complicated, right? You know, because you realize that, uh, you know, you rely on rain for water. And so if it doesn't rain, you know, you have no water. Or when there is a hurricane, you don't have, uh, you know, power for one week. So, you know. Uh, it's 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 very hard, you know. It, it, it's really an interesting experience to live in a, you know, permanently live in a Caribbean country. But we decided to make the move, which uh, was great professionally and personally, Joe, because I believe my son growing up in Bermuda, and he's, you know, now he's twelve. So we moved there when he was three, but. Um, for him is a great experience. You know, Bermuda, you know, is very diverse. You know, there are people all over the world, you know, expat local, very small island, so all, all the people living together. And uh, he learned English, which is now his, his primary language, and he really became uh, a, a, you know, international boy, you know, at, uh, at his age. So we we made that move for five years, and uh, professionally, I learned how to manage a complex organization. We were, you know, it was a heavily regulated business in one hundred operating in one hundred eighty countries. You know, I was managing three hundred fifty people from IT to actuarial to risk management, and and you know, living in Bermuda allowed us to to live a completely dif- different experience. And then, uh, you know, going back to my my career moves, at the time I realized I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial because, again, career stage consulting, investment, managerial experience. Then I felt that becoming an entrepreneur would have allowed me to, you know, put all the things I've learned in in a single experience. And then, you know, in 2011, Partnery was sold. To a French insurance company, Covea. And then with the support of Exor, which provided me seed capital, I created InvestLinks, which is a company operating in the active ETF space, basically listed mutual fund, which I started two years ago operating. And so now I'm in the entrepreneurial phase of my career, which I hope Joe will be the last, right? Because I think that's, that's the natural continuation of all my prior experiences.
0: So, so for, for what exactly does this company do? Uh, explain to a, a dumb American. So um, people
1: traditionally invest in mutual fund. So mutual funds are you know, a regulated fund that uh, build a diversified portfolio of security. Uh, these funds uh, uh, can be listed, and uh, uh, these listed funds are called uh, exchange-traded fund, which are fund traded on an exchange. And so, the word ETF uh, means exchange-traded fund, and they have a lot of advantage compared uh, to traditional mutual fund. They are effectively the same product, but uh, for the fact that they are listed, they are uh, much easier to buy. I make you an example: to buy a mutual fund, you have to go to your bank, fill in your paper. The paper goes to the compliance guy. They have to check that the product meets uh, your risk appetite. Then they need to do anti-money laundering checks. If this is passed, this is passed to the a transfer agent, uh, which is responsible for moving money and paying taxes in in the money in, money out. And then this goes to the mutual fund company. This value chain is highly inefficient. If, uh, and by the way, from the moment you decide to buy a mutual fund to the moment uh, you know the price, it's one, two days after. So if you think today the market is down 4% and you want to buy a mutual fund, You know, in this process, you you don't have certainty of the price. If uh, this fund is listed, the process is very simple because you buy with one click. You know the price. It's uh, in your account, uh, you know, uh, immediately. And uh, and the, the efficiency of this process means that the price you pay for an ETF is significantly lower than the price you pay for a mutual fund. So the consumer have a, a tremendous benefit and the ETF industry is growing exponentially. It has started as a, a passive industry in the sense that the first ETF were ETF that were replicating index, so Standard & Poor, NASDAQ, so basically very passive, but now Particularly in the U.S., uh, the offer is very wide. You have thematic fund, you have active fund, you have commodity. Now there should be the first Bitcoin ETF that may be approved by the SEC. You know, fingers
0: crossed. Fingers crossed. So, so, so for if I wanted to start up an ETF, say for this may be a bad example, but for say coastal real estate in California, I, I could go to you and you could help me package this thing up and bring it to market and 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 sell it. So uh,
1: the answer is yes but that's not the micro business micro business is really uh, making investment decision and then wrapping this investment decision within an ETF so what do we sell our client are really the investment choice there are platforms in the US and in Europe that uh, whose business model is exactly providing service to individual or to company that wants to set up their own ETF. They are called white label platform because they don't compete with them. I will compete with other products on my platform, which are not managed by my company. But there are service platform that allows you to, they give you all the infrastructure, you know, regulatory compliance, risk management, capital market access to launch your ETF. So. I have that capability, of course, for my product, but we don't provide those capabilities to the to their party. We only offer our product also, you know, for, um, you know, reputational risk, you know, your product goes very well, you host another product not managed by you that doesn't do well, so your brand is affected. So traditionally, either you have your platform for your own product or you have a white label platform that hosts, you know, different product. And so you have this effectively, if you want to launch your own ETF, you have, uh, you have this option. And now really you can Google, there are a lot of the traditional company like, you know, Fidelity, JP Morgan, Franklin Templeton, that they are realizing they cannot be out of the ETF game and they are converting a lot of their product in, uh, into ETF. You know, so that's thank you, uh, thank you. That's, that's a, trend
0: that's a good, that, that that's a good uh, description. So you started this a couple of years ago. How's it going? Like, what's it like going, being an entrepreneur? It's it's going
1: well. I like being an entrepreneur. Um, what I like is, um, you know, I have a lot of flexibility. You know, so I, you know, sometime I work over the weekend. sometime, you know, I want to bring my son to tennis, and I take. You know, so I, I, I feel I control my life better than being employed in a large corporation where you have a Monday meeting or, you know, that, you know there are a lot of, you know, constraints which sometimes don't add value, but you are forced to do. So I, I like being in control of what I do and all activity I do, I think, adds the value right? Which is something that, uh, you know, when you work in a traditional environment, which is not a startup, that's not always the case. So personally, I like, then of course, there are hurdles. Sometimes uh, things don't go as you wish, but then, uh, you know, you need to work harder to improve things or to make things better. Uh, Every day you wake up with new idea. Also, you know, being an entrepreneur is good you know, because you are approached by several people with idea, which allow me to, you know, interact, uh, learn a lot from these people, which is something that, if, again, if you are not in a startup, this uh, exchange of idea is less frequent. So I, I really like uh, uh, this. Um, the company is doing nicely to date. We have nice performance. And uh, now we managed €200 million, which is far, you know, far beyond what I had anticipated. So, uh, results so far have been good, but, uh, you know, it's a long journey, Joe. Uh, Just to give you an idea, in the ETF industry, three player control uh, uh, more than 80% of the market, which are BlackRock, uh, uh, Vanguard and stay straight. So to find uh, to find uh, 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 a place in that industry is very hard. Uh my company is focus only on activity F and I believe that you know even if you have a 0.5% 1% market share the company can be successful. But you have to build a brand. You know, managing third-party money is complicated because the brand is very important. And so I, I, I will, it takes time to develop a brand. You need to develop trust, people who want to watch your performance. And then the first year of good performance, people say, oh, that's good, but maybe it's luck. And then you have two yeah, years of good yeah. performance. And they tell, you know, maybe it's two years of luck. So it, it takes time. It takes time, and um, and so it's for me. It's uh, this is a project that uh, uh, will bear success in in ten years. If I do my NPV for you know the next five years, it will be definitely negative. If I had stayed in private, aid. definitely, definitely. But, you know, you don't work simply for money. I think at a, particularly when you reach our age, you know, you consider also what you like to do, right? And also the flexibility of time, you know, the possibility to spend, you know, time with your family without too many constraints. So when you factor that into the NPV, become less negative, but you know, it's still negative. For me, it was a choice of life, right? You know, at at my stage of my career, it was the right moment and you need to have energy. You still need, uh, you know, to have 10 years in front of you. So either I did uh, this startup now, or, uh, you know, probably I will have continued another five, ten years in private equity and then taking, you know, nice board membership, five, six board membership when you are 60. It's great. You travel, you attend nice dinner. But that, that was not the life I wanted to do. I, I see myself, uh, you know, more, more entrepreneurial than simply, you know, uh, attending corporate board. And so that, that was the choice I made.
0: That's probably a great note to to end on. That's some that's some sage advice. Although, if I were you, I probably would have stayed at the uh, private equity company and just just uh, phoned it in for for a decade or two, uh, and and, uh, and had the life. But uh, Moria, thank you so so much for your time. This has been uh, really nice to catch up with you, and really really interesting to hear your journey. Joe, thank you
1: for inviting me. It was It was a pleasure to talk to you today, and thanks for organizing this great series for our promotion. I I really appreciate your effort.
0: Thanks. It's my pleasure. Ciao.
1: Ciao, John.